All right, we're in lesson three today, the defense of Paul's apostleship. We're going to continue on. And remember, Paul's having to address the whole issue of his apostleship. And remember, the discussion that's going on is, is that these Judaizers, these, these Jews who profess Christianity are coming in and they're saying that in order for you to be accepted by Jesus Christ, in order for you to be truly saved, you had to adhere to the Mosaic Law. That is, you had to be circumcised, you had to eat certain foods. So you had to adhere to the Mosaic Law. Keep the new moons, the festivals, and everything. And so as they're doing that, they, they are, the Galatians probably responded by saying, well, you know, Paul told us, and these Judaizers are saying, well, who's Paul? He's subject to the what? The apostles down in Jerusalem. And what we're seeing is, is Paul's defending his apostleship by saying, he wasn't called by the guys in Jerusalem. He was called by who? By Jesus Christ. And he was called specifically to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Now, who's Gentiles, folks? Yeah, that's us. Now, what he's going to do is, he's also said to them that he had very little contact with the folks in Jerusalem at all. Remember, he said the only person he saw when he went there for three days was Peter and James, the brother of Jesus. So now in chapter 2, he's going to continue on with his defense, and he's going to tell us about his interaction with Jerusalem and to show us his apostleship has nothing to do with Jerusalem and has to do with God. So let's look at all, first of all, to verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. Now let me explain to you, this is probably about Acts chapter 15. This discussion that he's talking about here is about Acts chapter 15, so you know where it is as far as the book of Acts. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run and had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. Okay, let's look here. First of all, he's going to talk about his visit to Jerusalem. Paul states that after 14 years, he visited Jerusalem. All right, let's stop for a moment. He's, he's going to make a point here. His point is this, and this starts off very fast. He said, guys, I am in no way connected to these guys in Jerusalem. In fact, from my first time of meeting with Peter and James, it was 14 years before I went there again. Now, 14 years, is that a short period of time? That's a long period of time. Think about that, 14 years. I mean, think about it. How many of you uh, have been out west? How long ago? Somebody tell me. How many of you were there two years ago? Four years ago? Five years ago? I mean, ten years ago was the last time you went. That's a long time, isn't it? Ten years, 14 years is a long time to not be somewhere. To not. So obviously, there's no... If you're not visiting a place and you haven't been there in 14 years, what's your connection to the place? Is there any connection to the place? No. None at all. Not any. So, he's trying to make a point here. He's saying, guys, I haven't been there in 14 years. But when I did, let me tell you about the last time I was there, he said, he made his visit with Barnabas. Remember who Barnabas was? The son of encouragement. He's the one who introduced Paul to 
Peter and James, and Titus. Now, Titus is a Greek. He's a Gentile believer. So he said he went to visit them. Now, here was the purpose of the visit. Look with me in verse 2. He said this, I went up by revelation. Here's the point I want you to see. Paul went to Jerusalem at the direction of God, not the summons of man. Here's the point he's making. Guys, I went to Jerusalem, and if you read the book of Acts, you'll see he went to Jerusalem because God led him to go there, not because he got a note in the mail that said, you need to come down here and report. So Paul went to Jerusalem at the direction of God, not the summons of man. Now, here's what he was doing. When he went down there, he met with the elders, or the apostles who were there, and the leading figures in the church of Jerusalem at that time, and he presented the gospel that he was preaching to the Gentiles at that time. He presented the gospel that he was preaching to the Gentiles at that time. So he was giving a report to them as far as what God was doing, and he presented to them the gospel that he was presenting to the Gentiles at that time. Now, here's the interesting thing, because he's saying when he did this, he didn't do it with everybody in Jerusalem. He didn't do it with all the believers there. He spoke privately with the apparent leaders and notice he uses the word apparent. He's not even sure who the leaders are. Okay, look with me. But privately to those, verse 2, who were of reputation. So he's, he's speaking privately with those of whom he's not sure they're leaders, but they have a reputation in the church. Okay, so let me explain something to you. So he's not there to, quote, answer to anybody. He's there simply to present what God is doing, and the message he's bringing. All right? So he's not answerable to these guys. Now he goes on, he did not want to make public remarks that would hinder his ministry. Look with me at verse 2. Notice what he says. Lest by any means I might run and had run in vain. So he didn't want to say things that were going to inflame people because you have to understand the Jewish sentiment. Let me ask you a question. How did, how did the Jews at that time, and it may be even true today, how did the Jews at that time feel about Gentiles? Yeah, they hated them. In fact, the rabbis at that time would say, would say things like this, I thank God that I'm neither a woman or a Gentile. Because they basically held women in the same regard as men. You go back to the writings of the, I think it's the Talmud, the writings of that day. Here's another one. One rabbi would say that Gentiles were the fodder of hell. What do you mean by that? You were the piece of firewood meant to, to, to engage the fires of hell. That's what the, the Jewish mindset at that time was about Gentiles. So rather than go into a meeting where most people there... And remember now, remember Peter in, I believe it is Acts chapter 10, when he went to Cornelius' house? At first he didn't want to go. Why? Because he was a Jew, and a Jew was not to have any contact with who? A Gentile. So rather than inflame feelings there about I'm a minister to the Gentiles and this is the message I'm bringing, he, would, he just met privately with those of reputation, those who were the apparent leaders, to share with them what God was doing rather than to the whole crowd because in the whole crowd, is everybody a true believer? No. No, so let's go on. All right, then he brings up this. He's going to bring up the issue of Titus now. We see it in verse 3. Now, let's look at what verse 3 says, and so I'm going to make the point here, because this is a key point to his issue to the Galatians. Yet, not even Titus, 
who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Now here's the point he's making. Titus, the Gentile, was not forced to be circumcised during his trip to Jerusalem. Okay, let's stop for a moment. Why is this a key point in Paul's argument as he's talking about his trip to Jerusalem? Anybody? Why is this a key point? Why is the fact that Titus was not forced to be circumcised? Okay, that's good. Did you hear what Bruce said? Bruce is saying this is a key point because the Judaizers back in Galatia were saying you need to be circumcised in order to be accepted with God, in order for your salvation to be true. You have to adhere to the law of Moses. And here's what Paul's saying. Hey, and here's what they were saying. They were saying because the folks back in Jerusalem say this needs to happen. Well, here's what Paul says. I took Titus. You guys have met Titus. He's a believer. He went with me to Jerusalem, and guess what? The folks in Jerusalem didn't force him to be circumcised. It's not an issue. If it was that big of an issue in Jerusalem, guess what? Titus would have been circumcised. So do you see the point he's making there? He's bringing a key point out. He's saying, guys, I went down there. I met with the, quote, apparent leaders. We talked about the message to the Gentiles, and nobody forced Titus to be circumcised. That's a good point, isn't it? That's a good point. Here, you know, it brings up a good point here. Let, let me talk about it. You have to be so careful. A lot of times people will speak on authority where there is no authority. You say, what do you mean by that, George? A lot of times people will quote other people. Maybe they'll take something out of context that they heard on a service. Well, you know, John MacArthur said this, or John Piper said this, or Charles Stanley said this, or Jerry Falwell once said that. And, you know, and, 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 and they'll say about all these, Rick Warren said this. I read this in Reader's Digest. Rick Warren said this. And, and you know, they'll come up and they'll say all these things. Well, I remember when preacher so-and-so said this. And they'll stand on a statement when in reality, that person may have never held that view. That person never held to that position. Because that's what's going on here. The Judaizers are saying, you guys need to be circumcised because the folks back in Jerusalem said this. They're standing on an authority that they don't have an authority with. Where is our authority, my friends? Where's our authority? It's in Christ, but also where? You have something that you're holding in your hand. The Scripture it's not what Dr. So-and-so said. It's what Jesus said in His Word. That's our authority. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because here's the thing. Is it possible that Dr. So-and-so might be wrong? Yes. That's why you and I need to be men and women of the Word. That's why you need to be men and women of the Word. Okay, let's take that issue of the King James Bible for a moment. Look, I get publications all the time where guys are saying it's the only translation for the English-speaking people, period. And they've created whole new doctrines concerning the King James Bible as being it. Now, here's the problem with that. It's based upon what one man said. It's not based upon what the Scripture says. So, here's what I'm trying to say to you. You have to be careful of people who speak on authority because you've got to ask what's their authority. If their authority is man, that's pretty shaky. But if their authority is what? God's Word. Then, then, that's something else. You understand? That's, that's really where it's at. 
So, okay, let's look at the opposition to Paul's message. He's going to talk about the opposition. We already read verse 4. Look with me at verse 5. To whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. So here's what he's saying. There was some pressure. Even in that meeting in Jerusalem, there were Judaizers there. And they were trying to pressure the whole assembly there about the issue of what the gospel is. So let's go on. Here's what he's saying. The Judaizers sought to make an issue of Titus being circumcised. So he said, even in Jerusalem when I was there, nobody forced him, but believe me, there was a big ruckus about whether or not he should be circumcised. And so the Judaizers were there trying to make an issue of Titus being circumcised. That's what he's saying here. Now here's what I want you to see. It's interesting because Paul's going to refer to these Judaizers, and here's how he refers to them. Paul refers to these Judaizers as false brethren. He refers to these Judaizers as false brethren. These are false brethren. These are folks who are among us, but they're not of us, he would say in another place, or Peter would say. Folks who are among us, they're in, and let's be honest, you may not realize it, but there are probably false brethren here today. And, and you know what the interesting thing about being false brethren is, is you may not know you're a false brethren. So, for instance, you take the Judaizer who's advocating that you keep the law, if you were to say to them, you're a false brother, you're, you're, you're not right, do you think they would have said, oh yeah, I'm not right, I'm a false brother? Do you think they would acknowledge that? No, they would think, I'm right, you're wrong. If anybody's a false brother, it's you. So this is what he's saying to them. So he referred to these Judaizers as false brethren. So let's get to the next point then. Paul states that they had infiltrated the church seeking to enslave it. They had infiltrated the church seeking to enslave it. Now let me just stop for a moment. See, the enemy has many tactics about how he's going to get to a church. And the way that he gets to a church is not outright assault. Because you're on guard for that. So if somebody walks in here and starts saying that you need to worship some idol that he has at his house, you're immediately going to say, you're wrong, buddy. You're out of here. Because you're prepared for that. You know that's wrong. But notice he's talking about that they infiltrated the church. If you go back to verse 4, that they came in by stealth. What does that mean, stealth? What? Quietly. They just kind of quietly slipped in. And, and they kind of quietly spread their message. Okay, they kind of quietly spread their message. You know, and, 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 and it happens today in our churches because you'll see people, they'll come in, and they'll be quiet, and they'll look like everything's happy, and then until the right moment, then they express their unhappiness. It's always the right moment. They wait for a right moment. It just so happens the right, right moment happens to be when maybe the church is weak. What happens is, is not everybody who comes to church, you guys got to understand it, we may have fellowship. You may be like, hey, Rob, give me a high five there, buddy. All right, yeah, I love you, man. You know, and, and be really okay with each other. Well, let me just ask you a question. Do we really know what each other believes? You get to know each other if you're interacting with each other on a continual basis and you observe and you, you sharpen each other like iron sharpens iron and you correct each other. But is that possible as the church grows bigger that you know where everybody's at, because some people, they just kind of are quiet. Is that possible? No, it isn't. See, this is the thing I want you to understand. He's saying here that, that even in the church in Jerusalem, where the apostles are, where they're guarding the doctrine of the church, I mean, you think of they got Peter, they got James, the brother of Jesus, as the pastor, 
and they're guarding the doctrine of the church. These brethren are, have infiltrated in, and here's what they're doing. They're spreading their own little message and saying, yeah, Jesus is good, and we know, nobody's going to deny Jesus, but they're always going to add to Jesus. You understand what I mean by that? They're always going to add to the message. They're going to say, well, you know, that's good, but, you know, you need to carry a certain type of Bible, or you need to dress a certain way, or you need to listen to a certain type of music. And, and, and isn't that the kind of stuff that we hear today? And so then if you're not doing those things, oh, here's another one. Don't go to certain restaurants. See, what happens is, is that there are folks who will add to the message of the gospel. And they just don't walk in and have a T-shirt on saying, I'm going to teach you something wrong. They infiltrate the church. And when they infiltrate the church, it's kind of a sly message. You understand? It's a sly. And that's how the enemy does it. He states that they had infiltrated the church to seek to enslave it. And, the, and what he's talking about here for them is, is he's, they're infiltrating the church to enslave it to the law, which Jesus had set us free from. Now let's go on. Here's Paul's stand. In spite of the pressure, Paul refused to give in to their demands. Here's a good lesson here. Can I be honest with you? How many of you know folks who insist that, uh, like we'll, go, we'll go back to the Bible issue for a moment, insist that the King James is the only Bible and you should only have a King James? How many of you know folks like that? And they'll be, they'll be pretty out of it with you, won't they? How many of you have gotten into an argument with somebody like that? Just be honest. Okay. All right. Now, can I be honest with you? Nothing's settled by arguments. But the example of the apostle here is actually a good example. You don't need to argue with them. You just need to refuse to give in to their position. You understand what I'm saying? You need to refuse to, because here's what will happen. You, you could find yourself pressured by somebody. So let's say, it's, let's say it's Cindy Q at work. Cindy Q at work believes it's only the King James. And every time you mention, oh, man, I got a good, and you, and you quote the NIV, and she's like, well, that's just of the devil. That's a false version, you know, and whatever. It goes off in the arguments or whatever. And here's what will happen. You will get enslaved to that person. Here's how it will happen. You will become enslaved to them because now, rather than freely sharing what God shows you, because you're, to, you can't share it with them now because it's from the wrong Bible, you, you just refuse to share. I mean, if you've been in that kind of situation before, you know what I'm saying? You refuse. You give up your liberty in Christ because you're giving it to the pressure of them. You understand what I'm saying? Now, I'm just talking about the Bible issue. It could be other issues that you, know, that you are aware of. Well, somebody says, well, what about the weaker brother argument? The weaker brother argument is about a new Christian and the possibility of that new Christian going back into a wrong behavior from the past. We're not talking about legalists. And so the reality is, as Paul says, in spite of the pressure... And there must have been a lot of pressure being in Jerusalem for everybody, because it's mostly Jews there. Can I be honest? There probably were no Gentiles in the church in Jerusalem. In spite of the pressure, he didn't give up. He didn't give into it. He refused to give into it. He's like, this, they're not going to adjust my message here. They're not going to adjust my ministry. I'm going to keep plugging on. All right, so let's go on. Here's what else he says. He did this that the gospel of grace would remain pure. He wasn't going to give in to these guys and their pressure tactics about starting that, that Titus needs to be circumcised, that, they, that Gentile Christians need to adhere to the law. He wasn't going to give in to them one inch. You want to know why? Because if he had, it would change the whole, the whole message of the gospel. You understand what I'm saying? It would change the whole message of the gospel. So 
Anybody can think of some kind of maybe example of that where you know that the tendencies we have in our church might change the gospel because we emphasize something and it's not necessarily a part of the gospel? Anybody? Go ahead, Tim. Okay, don't eat in the church. All right. Okay. How many of you have lived under that before? That's a, that's a good one. Okay. You see how subtle it is? Can, can I be honest with you? The chances are that there may be something even here among us that we are suddenly communicating something other than the pure gospel to people that your acceptance with Jesus is based upon something else. We, we hope not. We examine it. We don't want to do that. But is, is it possible that we could be mistaken in an area? Yeah. Yeah. Big time. Now, here's the obvious thing. If you're coming from the outside in, you could probably pick, pick out where we're mistaken. But when you're in the midst of it, do you think we see what's wrong? No. No. So, but Paul, he's saying, I didn't give in to them because, listen, I didn't get into it because I didn't want to add to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I wanted it to remain pure. So look with me at verses 6 through 10. He's going to talk about his message now. He's going to say that he shared his message with those folks. But from those who seem to be something, now again, he's using that phrase again, to those who seem to be something. He's talking about the leaders. He's not even sure who the leaders are, but he's saying, in that church, those who seem to be something, whatever they were, I mean, does it really matter to him who they are? He said, whoever they seem to be, whatever they were, listen to what he says, it makes no difference to me. He goes on, God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something add nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. And they desired only that we should remember the poor and the very thing which I also was eager to do. Okay, so let's talk about it. He's going to talk about his acceptance here. First of all, here's the issue. It did not matter to Paul who the leaders in Jerusalem were. Who cares, Paul's saying? Who are they? First of all, he says, they seem to be leaders, but it really didn't matter to me. You know, there, there's an argument here for independent congregations, isn't there? Because Paul's saying, I'm not answerable to these guys. I'm doing what God called me to. I'm doing the message that he called me to. Now, let's go on now. So, it didn't matter who they, who they were. Paul stressed, first of all, this is a Paul stress that God did not show favoritism towards any man. Let's just stop there. This is an important point that you and I need to grasp. Some of you in here need to grasp this point. Because you can get to where you are so down on yourself, and the enemy can so confuse you with lies, that you think, well, God's not going to bless me because I'm not like so-and-so. He just seems to bless so-and-so all the time. And God's not blessing me because I messed up. 
or I did this. And so some of you develop in your mind a theology of favoritism in which God blesses some people and doesn't bless you. Does everybody understand what I'm talking about? Because you look at your life and you say, you know, he's showing favoritism to them because look at what all the stuff they're doing for Jesus. Look at them. They got their life together and, they, you know, they got a perfect whatever here. Perfect home, perfect family, perfect job. And look at me. Life's just, everything's falling apart every week for me. God, you must love them more than me. You see the favoritism aspect? Here's what Paul's saying. God doesn't favor the guys in Jerusalem any more than he favors me. He shows no favoritism. And we've got it. In fact, that is stressed throughout the Scripture. Even James, one of the leaders that he's talking about in Jerusalem, says in his epistle that God shows no partiality. There's no partiality with God. He gives liberally to all of us. Does everybody understand that? There's no favoritism. He doesn't favor any one over the other. So quit thinking you're a red-headed stepchild. You know what I mean by that? You can get to the place where you think you're a red-headed stepchild, and the fact of the matter is, is you're not. There are no stepchildren with God. Anybody find that in their Bible somewhere? What did he say? He, to him, to those who believe, they what become the children of God? There's no asterisk there that says everybody but you. So, and if it is in your Bible, you need to throw that Bible out. We'll get you a different one. Because that one's got a problem. So here's what I want you to see. He stresses here that God doesn't show any favoritism to any man, so why in the world is he worried about these guys in Jerusalem? He's not. He's not going to be worried about them at all. So then notice something. He's going to show the response of the leaders. The leaders in Jerusalem did not add anything to Paul's gospel message. He's saying, when I shared with them what I was sharing, they said, Amen. They blessed it. They didn't add anything to it. They didn't say, well, you know, Paul, you're kind of slipping on this one area here. They didn't do that. Paul said they added nothing. In fact, if you want to have a record of what they said, Acts chapter 15. If anything, what they did was is they, they sent a letter back commending to the church what they should do. In fact, let me go there. Acts 15. If you listen to, you know, so they, com they, they agreed with Paul's message. They didn't add anything to it. Listen to what Luke writes in his gospel. He said, they wrote the letter by them, the apostles, the elders, and brethren, to the brethren who are, in the, of, are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some have went out from us, have troubled you with words and unsettling your soul, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. So here's Paul. Paul goes down there and shares his message. And they say, your message is okay, Paul. So guess what? They send a message back. And obviously the folks in Galatia didn't get this message, but here's what it says. It seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men to you with our beloved Paul, with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We therefore sent Judas and Silas, who also report the same things by word of mouth, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay 
upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. They're not going to add anything to the gospel message, but they are going to say there are some things that we think you should be aware of. And here's what they're saying. You should abstain from things offered to idols. And again, Paul will later say that's not an issue. From blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you do well, farewell. He's saying, okay, we're not adding anything to the gospel, but by the way, kind of deal with some of these other issues, okay? So here's what he's saying. They accepted the message. They didn't have a problem with the message. They accepted it. Now, here's what I want you to see. The leaders recognized that the ministry to the Gentiles had been committed to Paul. The leaders in Jerusalem recognized that the ministry to the Gentiles had been committed to Paul. Have you noticed through the years that there will be certain individuals that you will come in contact and you'll know this person is anointed by God to do a work? Ever met people like that? You, you, you'll know that there's a calling on their life. I mean, I've met people like that. You've met people like that. Where you know there's a calling on that individual's life. There's, there's an anointing of the Spirit there. There's something extra there. This is what's going on here. When Paul's in their midst, he's sharing their messages and everything. These folks are sitting here saying, yes, it's very obvious. Your ministry is to the Gentiles. Your ministry. You, are, you have been given the ministry to the Gentiles. So it's very obvious. Can I be honest with you? It's because of his ministry you and I are here today. Because every one of us here are what? Gentiles. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? Because, I mean, if he had lost, I don't think we'd be here. you understand what I'm saying? We sure wouldn't be here. Let's, let's go on. Paul's ministry to the Gentiles was similar to Peter's ministry to the Jews. Paul's ministry to the Gentiles was similar to Peter's ministry to the Jews. So then Paul's going to make a point here. He's going to say, because these guys are saying, well, you know, Cephas, which is another name for Peter, Peter says this, and Peter's the big guy, and Peter is anointed by God. Well, then look at verse 8. When you get to verse 8, look at what's going on there. He said, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me towards the Gentiles. Here's what he's saying. God empowered Paul's ministry as he empowered Peter's ministry. Here's what he's saying. You know what? My ministry, they recognized that my ministry was just like Peter's ministry except to a different area. And guess what? The same God who empowered Peter is the same God who empowers me. This is what Paul's saying. So then, he gives the endorsement. Just so they understand what's going on here, he gives an endorsement. He says, Peter, John, and James gave their approval. And notice he says he recognized them as the pillars. Peter, James, and John gave their approval and blessing to Paul's ministry and message. He didn't get their, it, wasn't, it didn't really matter if they gave their approval or not, but he definitely got their endorsement. You understand what I'm saying? It definitely got their endorsement. So then, here's the only request that they made. Here's the only thing that the church in Jerusalem 
Here's the only thing that they added, the only thing that they said that the Gentiles needed to be aware of. And it had nothing to do with the gospel. It had nothing to do with whether or not they were going to be accepted with God. It actually had to do with their service. Here's what they needed to be aware of. They requested that Paul remember the needs of Christians in Jerusalem. Look with me, verse 10. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. Here's what I want you to see. They're saying, okay, we're not going to, you know, your message is right on, Paul. We extend that hand of fellowship to you. We endorse what you're doing. And we're not going to add anything to the Gentiles because there is nothing else to add. The gospel is pure. It's grace. It's freedom in Jesus from the law. We're not going to add the law here. But we do want you to remember something when you go back. Here's what we want you to remember. Remember us, the poor. Now, what do you say? We need the poor. Well, do you think it was difficult to be a Jewish Christian in Jerusalem at this time? Yes. In fact, Paul would go back and do that. He would go to all of the churches throughout Macedonia and Greece and gather a collection to be taken back to where? The church in Jerusalem. To help them out in their time of need. See, here's what he's saying. They're saying, Paul, remember us. Remember us. We're struggling. That's all they said. Now, why do you think Paul's telling the Galatians that? Why do you think Paul's telling the Galatians that? He doesn't have to tell them this. You understand what I'm saying? He doesn't have to tell them, oh, they, by the way, they asked me for money. Why do you think he's telling them that? Okay, that's good, Bruce. Okay, that's, that could be it. That's a possible answer there, that possibly the Jerusalem Christians wanted to show that they were not just, they're not more blessed than any other Christian. They have needs too. They're struggling as well. Anybody else? Yeah, Maryland. Okay, so the Galatians would think the same way. Yeah, so that they would remember the poor in Jerusalem. Okay, that's good. Anybody else? Anybody else have something different? Here's what I think it is. And I might be wrong, but I think it is. I think what he's doing is, is he's showing that, you know, the argument of the Judaizers is, is that Paul and everybody there in Galatia answers to Jerusalem. Remember that? They're supposed to answer to Jerusalem and keep the law. As if they're dependent upon Jerusalem. Here's what Paul's showing. He's actually showing that there's a dependence, but it's an interdependence. You understand what I'm saying? That Jerusalem is not its own little thing. Jerusalem needs us just as much as we need them. You understand what I'm saying? There's a dependence that they're struggling. They're struggling. And, and they're saying, go right on. Live for Christ. We're not adding anything to it. But by the way, remember us. Remember us. So, so yes, there is an independence there where you don't need to answer to Jerusalem is what Paul's saying. But hey, they still need you. 
They still need you. In fact, notice Paul's attitude about their request. He indicated that he was eager to meet this request. Paul was saying, yeah, we'll be there. We'll help you out. We'll sacrifice for you. In fact, isn't it the testimony, if you go to uh, the Corinthian letters, Paul actually talks about the churches in Macedonia actually sacrificing. This is the offering that they're taking here. The offering they're taking is for the church in Jerusalem, to help the church in Jerusalem. Here's what's going on. He says to the Corinthians, guys, listen to me. Grab a hold of this. The issue is the churches in Macedonia, okay, the churches in Macedonia gave beyond what they had for what? For the needs there. You guys just only give out of your abundance. See, Paul was eager to help, so much so that he would sacrifice for them. That's true giving. It's not giving out of your abundance, but it's giving out of your sacrifice. And so he indicated that he was eager to meet their request. Okay, next week, we're going to continue on in the third part of Paul's defense. And the third part of his defense is, is Paul's going to deal now with the issue of Peter himself. He's going to say, I had a confrontation with Peter. And then he's going to talk about that whole issue, his argument of where Peter was wrong, and the implications. So he's going to defend his apostleship by saying, you know what, you want to, be, you, you want to toot the horn and say Peter's the chief guy? Well, let me tell you about Peter. And let me tell you about my interaction with him. So we're going to look at that next week in Galatians chapter 2 as we finish up chapter 2. So let's, let's close our time in prayer and get ready for the morning worship service.